0: podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. At Anything But Footy, we do just that. Talk about anything sporty, but the Premier League and hamstring injuries. Don't worry if you thought English football was the only thing returning during the easing of lockdown, we forgive you. But our promise is to highlight some of the other stars and action, particularly focusing on Olympic and Paralympic sport. And this week, in any other year, we'd usually be counting down to the start of Wimbledon. But 2020 brings us the Battle of the Brits Tennis and a series of events at the National Tennis Centre in Roehampton throughout July. Tennis, as we know, is ideal for social distancing. But can it survive professionally without a crowd, without sponsors' cash and players jetting around the world? I'm John.
1: And I'm Michael. And slowly but surely... Most importantly, of course, safely, sport is returning. And as John mentions, Wimbledon is one of the summer highlights that we won't be enjoying in 2020. Another one of those quintessential British events is taking place. Royal Ascot behind closed doors. Snooker's World Championship is set to go ahead later in the year at the Crucible with arch-promoter Barry Hearn the driving force there. But we're still waiting on hearing the plans from other sports, like athletics, swimming and cycling. Although, even without action, there's headlines to discuss, notably in track and field, where Christian Coleman and Sowa Id both 29 world champions, are both provisionally suspended after missing doping tests. More on that to come.
0: As always, you can get in touch anytime at anything but F on Twitter or message us on Insta and Facebook. The website is anythingbutfooty.com. You can email anythingbutfooty at gmail.com. And if you haven't yet subscribed to the podcast or told someone about it, please do that and tell Apple Podcasts what you think of it as well. Now, Jamie and Andy Murray, British number one, Dan Evans, Carl Edmund, just some of the British stars at Roehampton this week for the first ever Battle of the Brits. Britain's top-ranked men's tennis players will be taking part in this new tournament across the five days that's been Come up with, of course, through lockdown and the coronavirus crisis. There'll be two groups named Henman and Rosetsky and will face each other in a round robin before the winners and runners up progress to the semi finals and the final. There'll be both singles and doubles competition, and the Schroder's Battle of the Brits is all live on Amazon Prime as well. So huge backing of this. And not to be outdone, Britain's top female tennis players will also have another chance to compete again next month following the announcement of a brand brand. brand new 30,000 Progress Tour Women's Championships again held at Roehampton in the middle of July and we'll talk about the US Open in a moment but first Michael I mean we've said that tennis is ideal for social distancing and it's good to see some new competitions and new ways of
1: getting into people's consciousness sport has to be imaginative at the moment we can't have Wimbledon it is one of the jewels in the sporting calendar it's one of the jewels in the crown it's something we look forward to but we can't enjoy SW19 for a couple of weeks but we do have an opportunity there is a huge appetite and I think the build up to the start of Premier League football matches showed what an appetite there is to see some live sport at the minute and as I said right at the start sport, sports bodies sports organisers sports administrators who we are very quick to criticise and have been on this podcast many and various times, they have to come up with something new, something to keep people entertained and I'm sure that above all, as well as being a very good event for Amazon Prime and the watching public, I'm sure above all, for the players and for the people involved in the staging of it... It's absolutely what they want to be doing at the minute because you know we've all had three, three and a half months where we've been trying to get on as, as well as we can and, and live our normal lives. Now, if you are a, an athlete, a professional athlete, an elite athlete who hasn't been able to do what you would normally do, and there's lots of people in that boat, whether you've worked in a restaurant, a pub, a retail shop, whatever, you've not been able to do what you, you have to do. But if you're an athlete, an elite athlete, and you've got all that pent up energy, frustration, What an excellent opportunity, and and you have to applaud the people that that have pulled this event together and staged it in Roehampton, staging it, we hope, safely, and staging something that that people will want to watch. Yes, it's a bit of fun, but, you know, so was Pot Black back in the day when we used to watch One Frame Snooker. It was staged specifically for that audience. It was fun. It was good. This is something that I think will provide a welcome break in what is a very dry sporting summer.
0: Now, the US Open does remain on schedule to start in August in New York, admittedly without some of its star names and no mixed doubles junior events or wheelchair tennis either. And I know that you said there that we have to get back to playing. We have to get back to action. But for me, this is the wrong decision. If you're going to have the US Open, you need to have the whole of the US Open. You can't say that, that those events are second rate and they don't matter as much. Now, the IPC, the International Paralympic Committee, has rightly condemned this decision about wheelchair tennis in particular. IPC President Andrew Parson saying we urge organisers to reconsider, which could potentially undo years of great work to promote and showcase the sport of wheelchair tennis. Now, Alfie Hewitt from Norfolk won the men's singles last year, defending his title. Of course, he is a Paralympic uh, medalist as well and also a Wimbledon champion. Andy Lapthorne won the quads at the US Open last year. He said this feels like going back years and he's described it as ableism. Now, we have to be clear, Michael, that women's sport, and we've said it before in this podcast, women's sport and parasport can't be seen as second rate and can't be left behind in this rush to get sport back from lockdown.
1: Yeah, it's a compromise, US Open, isn't it, that they're staging, and I think, what's probably the main issue here is that the men's and the women's draw are going ahead as normal so they will have their usual 128 players each and that is because the US Open tennis organisers will want to maintain their perceived prestige of their Grand Slam tennis event the doubles, uh, the men's doubles and the women's doubles will be reduced to 32 pairs from 64 and as you said no mixed doubles no junior tournament and no wheelchair tennis and just before we recorded I was listening to a video on Instagram by George anna wiley an 11-time grand slam champion and i actually think she summed it up very well she said she doesn't think it is a deliberate discriminatory move against disabled athletes but having said that it sends out the wrong message it's not the right decision and she says that as as a tennis player whether able-bodied or disabled you want to be important you want to be valued you want to be respected And that is where great strides have been made in para-sport over the years, particularly, I think, since the Paralympics in London in this country. And this is a decision which doesn't make Jordana Wiley and the other names that you mention important, feel valued or respected. And that's why it's a mistake by the organisers. You can't defend it.
0: And can tennis and other sports as well actually survive without these... um... You know stars, if you like, because you know there, there, there may not be some of the world leading stars playing in the us open uh, in those men's and singles and women's singles. will the sponsors return? I mentioned Schroeder's there for Battle of the Brits. I mean that's a great sponsor um, for 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 the lta and and Jamie Murray's uh, organization and it's raising money for charity as well but can tennis and can sport if people can't fly around the world and compete in these events and people can't go and watch them? Is it going to survive in its current format?
1: Well, I think the issue is what you've stated there. The reason the US Open tennis organisers are staging the event in the way that they're staging it is because they will still get their top-tier sponsors and they'll still get their broadcast deals. Now, I said we've made fantastic strides in para-sport in this country, certainly since 2012. But if you were to analyse the coverage of Wimbledon, on the BBC, across their numerous platforms and their numerous channels, you know that the wheelchair tennis is something they put on at the end of the day to fill the time till today at Wimbledon. It is not generally something that they are going to start with. They're going to start at 1 o'clock with the action on centre court. And that action on centre court will be Andy Murray, will be Rafa Nadal, will be Novak Djokovic. So we've even got the issue here with Wimbledon that whilst the para disciplines are part of the fabric of the event for the organizers for the sponsors for broadcasters they're still not for them the main part of the event now we are making changes to try and address that and you know the, the the gap is 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 coming together but i still think there's a long way to go and i think that is why the u.s open tennis organizers have made that decision today
0: and I suppose it's distancing, isn't it, as well, social distancing. You need to keep the number of people down within a certain area and, and all those those rules that, that come with it. But you are right, there's still things need to be done at Wimbledon. I mean I've went and watched Alfie Hewitt and Gordon Reed play in the in the wheelchair doubles and they're on some outside court somewhere and it's the final.
1: Yeah, um, sports you know, personality then... <laughs> of the year will have a nine minute montage in the medium of mime about Nadal and Federer in the final but they will have 10 seconds of Jordana Wiley or or Alfie Hewitt. There's still a long way to go to address that balance and to make those even disciplines and maybe what the u.s open tennis organizers should have done was say we're not having a u.s open this year but we are going to use the courts and we're going to stage an exhibition and we're going to invite the eight best men the eight best women we're going to put some good pairs together we're going to get the best wheelchair tennis players together maybe that was the way around it maybe they were to able potentially to do a, a battle of the brits type event an exhibition type event but clearly Because of the pressure from sponsors and from their broadcast partners, they feel that they needed to get a men's and women's draw with 128 players on as per normal, perceived normal, new normal.
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, I've said we're not talking about the Premier League, but I did hear a manager this week sort of saying that the football world, football is there for the fans. And of course, the fans aren't there to see it, apart from watching it on, on television. We all know the Premier League restarted because of the money that was uh, yeah, involved and in that.
1: And that's going to be the issue. All sports are having to make difficult decisions. And perhaps in this time, they're not making the right decisions. Premier League football has started. Women's football hasn't started. We've... Seen over the last 12 months since the World Cup in France and and Phil Neville's side getting to the semi-finals, we've seen huge profile with the Lionesses. We've even broken our golden rule on anything but footy to talk about women's footy because we felt it was one of those sports that needed profile. But it's been a casualty of the pandemic. We are not going to see the conclusion of the women's football season as we are with the men's football season. You've hit the nail on the head. The reason we're not going to see the conclusion of the women's season, but we are the men's, the sponsors and the broadcast deals and the money that's involved with that.
0: Something we talk about on Anything But Footy quite a lot is uh, drugs in sport. We will be talking about that very shortly with some very high-profile names, as Michael mentioned at the top of the show, uh, who have been provisionally suspended. That is to come, but we're going to continue with tennis because... We've often said that sport needs to evolve and grow and maybe this is the opportunity to do it when we have a a position that's going on in the world right now. So I'm delighted that we're joined by Mark Milne. He's the founder of 3030, a new format of tennis aimed at more excitement. Very much like Crickets 2020, I suppose. Now just to run you through exactly what the rules are, it's an abbreviated format of tennis... It starts with the score at 30 all. If a set reaches six games all, a short set nine point tie break, i.e. the first of five points, takes place. There's a sudden death at four. And then during a set, players serve alternate games and only chains ends initially after two games and then every other four games. And a set of 30-30 takes in general no longer than 20 minutes with a best of three sets completed in no longer than 60 minutes and the best of five sets in 90 minutes. Sounds quite an idea, Mark.
2: Hi there, John. Yes, I'm a tennis enthusiast who's played tennis for the best part of 50 years and have come up with a, well, it's called a creation. I've created what's called 30-30 Tennis which is an alternative, shorter, faster-paced scoring method for tennis. I tried the Fast 4 format that was introduced by Tennis Australia a number of years ago now, and has now been accepted by the ITF as a shorter format. And it's where you only play sets that go to four games with a tie-break at 3-all. So we started using it, but we didn't feel it was really like traditional tennis. Coming off having won a match... 4-1, 2-4, 4-3, 4-1, 2-4, 4-3, for example. It just didn't feel like tennis. I'm still a very much of a traditionalist. Sets are still the six games. You still play a tie break at six all and so on. And, yeah, my goal for 30-30 is, because I believe it's better, I would like to reapply. I've already applied to the ITF, but I'd like to reapply based on trialling that I've got ongoing Are you aiming this, Mark, at the club tennis player? Because from
1: a professional and elite point of view, we all love the epic five-setters, don't we? There's a plaque at Wimbledon for Isner and Mahu that took three days to get their match going. So is this aimed at people like you, me and John, who are just having a bit of a knockabout on a Sunday afternoon?
2: I'm actually a believer that it will work for both club players, amateur players and professional players. I think there's probably a need you read a lot in the press just now about the people that are following tennis and even playing tennis are all getting older. The, the matches are just lasting a bit too long. It's not everyone now that will sit for three, four, five hours. My, my kids who are now in their 20s have, have never really sat down and watched a full tennis match. You've got to be a real diehard fan to sit and watch for three, four, five hours. and and many other sports have recognized this as well, to to try and encourage younger people to play or to support or to be fans. They they are trying alternative, shorter formats. And yes, it it wouldn't just be for club level. I I believe it can, you know, there's Patrick Moratoglu at the weekend, trying something new to try and attract younger people to the game of tennis. And and I think shorter formats is potentially one of the ways to do it. So if you watch uh, matches played by the professionals on television that last an hour or an hour and a half maximum, there's more chance of you getting, I think, the younger generation to get interested. It's not everyone like me who's who's grown up watching best of five sets matches and quite willing to sit and watch the four or five hours.
0: 2020 in cricket there's three-on-three basketball which is making hopefully its Olympic debut in in Tokyo assuming that Tokyo 2021 takes place have you thought about trying to look at obviously the ITF is the key but if the Commonwealth Games could have a tennis event which was 30-30 or the youth the Olympic Youth Games looking at a different way of, of getting it out there
2: it's a good point. Uh, people ask me what are my dreams for 30 and I tell them that in 2032 the Olympic Games believe it or not are due to be in Asia, possibly in India and there's a fair chance that 2020 cricket, I know they're they're applying to be part of the Olympic movement in 2028 in Los Angeles but I, I think baseball may, with it being in America, baseball may be just tip. Uh, pip them, but I think it would be a no-brainer for them not to have 3030 in the Olympic Games in 30, uh, 2032 in India. It would be fantastic. So I tell people my dream is that 2020 cricket will be played in India in 2032 and 3030 cricket uh, tennis will also be played uh, at the same Olympic Games. But my my main goal really is to get it accepted by the ITF. It, it's difficult to get sanctioned events to use the 30-30 format unless it's been officially sanctioned by the ITF. The, the ITF control the rules of tennis, and, and that really is my ultimate goal. If tennis doesn't innovate in the
1: ways that you've been describing with either your version or another version of, of short tennis, is, is tennis in trouble as a sport? Could it disappear off the radar in perhaps the same way that, that test cricket has for a lot of people?
2: I do think that everything has to. If you stand still in any in any business, uh, I'm a mechanical engineer uh, to trade basically. I've I worked 30 years in engineering, and if you're a company or business or, or sport and you stand still, you're going to fall behind. Times do change and times do move on, and I do feel tennis potentially. You know, I I only read online what the figures are. You know, they say the average age people watching and playing is is growing year on year. And if if that does continue to happen, yes, tennis could potentially be in trouble. So I think you have to innovate, you have to adapt, and you do have to change with the time. So I I wouldn't say no tennis is gonna die if if nothing's done, but they, they certainly have to look at things and try things to try and encourage Youngsters, it's, it's not easy to get youngsters in there. They've got such a big wide range of sports to look at and so on. And, and tennis matches that we watch on the television, they, they do go on a heck of a long time. You've got to be a real enthusiast to watch them. I so, love
1: it. I love a big late night at Wimbledon watching a big epic five setter,
2: <laughs> Federer
1: Nadal. It's, it's brilliant, isn't it? It's like poetry.
0: No, but I, oh, I Mark, I, let me pick that up on Michael because I've covered Wimbledon, and I tell you what, the first three or four games of every set, um, you've got the whole crowd disappearing to go and buy strawberries, go and buy more pims, go and buy more champagne. They ain't interested in the first four or five games of a set. Absolutely,
2: it's a very slow burner tennis, a very slow burner. With 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 this thirty thirty format, if if you were to play a best of three sets match. It's going to last between 40 and 60 minutes, and as I say, the game score ticks over quicker. So I think it would grab your attention. It won't have the same build as obviously a five-set, five-hour match, but it'll be something different, and you you will sit down and watch the whole match, and it'll be over quick enough. It's still a fair test, and the other big advantage is that at the moment, if you go if you to go along to Wimbledon and you're scheduled for a court that's maybe got two men singles and so on, you're only going to see two matches in that day. With a shorter format, you've got the chance to see more than double that. You, you would see twice as many players playing. Okay, the matches are shorter, but you get the opportunity to see more matches. I have an analogy that many sports have varying disciplines within the sport. For example, athletics. Now, athletics on the track, you have long distance races that are 10,000 and 5,000 metres. Now, they take sort of 15 minutes to half an hour. You're terming that a long distance event. They also have middle distance events that are the 800 metres and the 1500 metres. They're anything from sort of one minute, one and a half minutes, say, to four minutes. You also have the sprint events, which are the 100 metres and the 200 metres, which are 10 seconds to 20 seconds. So you've got three different things there, a sprint, a middle distance, and a long distance. They all have their own associated superstars. You know, Usain Bolt, 100 metres, Rhodesia, the middle distance, Mofar, a long distance. That is fantastic for the sport of athletics. They have individual guys that are unique to their event. You would never see Mo Farah doing the ten thousand. You would never see, uh, you uh, sorry, you would never see Usain Bolt doing the ten thousand. You would never see the other way Mo Farah doing the hundred. Although I believe he has and he's pretty quick. Tennis can be. I'd like exactly. to say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, I think I have seen him run the hundred and he's bloody quick for a ten thousand meter runner. Like yeah, <laughs> but tennis has the same. It has the Grand Slam best of fives, which are two to five hours. It has the ATP and the WTA best of three which are sort of one hour to maybe two, three hours. And we've now got the short formats like Time Break 10s, Fast 4, and the Ultimate Tennis Showdown and 30-30. These events could potentially produce a sprint champion in tennis, which could potentially be a younger player. To win a Grand Slam just now, I think you have to have a number of years' of experience and Stabara built up over years of training to be a potential winner of a Grand Slam a shorter format could produce its own unique champion. Like Nick Kyrgios, he could be fantastic over a short format. Okay, you're convincing me, Mark. You're convincing me. (laughs) How are you going to go
1: and take this to the world then and and promote it and uh, send us all off to the 2032 Olympics to to watch it?
2: Okay, the the, the plan is contacting people at the moment, getting people to try it as much as possible, getting feedback and reapplying to the ITF. I have been speaking to some people that are very interested in it. They, they, they realise that there is something in this and there there, there does appear to be money available. There, there, are, there are people that are willing to invest money in this format. And at the moment, obviously, with the tours cancelled or suspended for a while, there are opportunities for events to pop up and to be streamed and so on. And um, there are two, there are a couple of guys that I'm speaking to just now um, that, that are interested to take this further, basically. So I, I do really think I've got something here. The, you know, the name of it, first of all, backed on the back of 2020, it could be known as the younger sibling of 2020 cricket. The name 30-30 tells you exactly what it does on the tin, basically. 30-30, oh yeah, that's the shorter format of tennis. Every game starts at 30-all. So th- there is something here and, and I believe it really works and there is a requirement for shorter formats as well. I just need to prove that this format is better than the other three formats that are out there at the moment. And yeah, I, I need, I really need the ITF to, to take on board following the trialing I've done. I'm not alone now. I've, I've got 270 people plus a, a lot more that, you know, I've just had a great idea, fantastic idea, this is, this is really good. Uh, I'm, I now know I'm not alone. At the start, I was a wee bit, oh, is it just me? Am I the only person that thinks this works? Uh, no, there, there are now hundreds of people that are aware of it and have tried it and saying, yeah, th- this really does work.
0: We wish you well, Mark. Before I let you go, I must say, I love the name, but I particularly love the way you say it in your accent.
2: Yes, it's 3030Tennis. 30, 30
0: so michael just listening to mark there he's got the passion i mean got the enthusiasm and, hasn't he and and to be fair there is some real indication there that you should have quicker tennis quicker tennis matches and again making it more relevant and easy for people to watch whether that is in person hopefully in the future or on television
1: well i think it's a mixture that you're looking for, isn't it? And I think that's probably true these days of a lot of sports. So cricket fans will still want to see test cricket. Test cricket still... On, only in a, England, though. Whether it's an Ashes in Australia. test or, or only, in India. Only in England and Australia. Well, I would say in India, it, it would be pretty popular still to go and watch test match cricket. I think, and certainly I, think
0: I think 2020 has taken over in certain parts of the world. I think England and Australia are the only places where you sell out test matches.
1: Well, I think there's a place for Test Match Cricket, and I'm not the biggest cricket fan, but I think there's there's a place for, for 2020. It's something I understand more. And if we hadn't had the p- pandemic this summer, we'd have seen the 100 as well. And I would have been interested to see how that would have taken off, especially with Test Terrestrial TV coverage. I think we've suffered with, with Test Cricket, certainly, with with losing that from Terrestrial TV. And I think it was fantastic with the World Cup, with the one-day form of the game, that they put the the final and uh, England's victory of obviously on on Channel Four as well. So I think there is a mix, and I think there is an opportunity. There's a landscape where a, a mix would work, and I think that's that's probably what Mark w- would ag- agree with if he was to be totally and utterly honest. I still think there's a there's a huge appetite. For big five setters late into the evening at Flushing Meadow or Roland Garros or, you know, Rod Laver or at SW19, of course, I still think there's that appetite to see those matches unfold. But yes, I do take his point that actually you could have a really good event at somewhere like the O2, eight players done and dusted in a night, fantastic evenings entertainment.
0: Yeah. And I think no one's saying this is going to replace Wimbledon. And I don't think he would want to replace Wimbledon. No. But you want to have that new generation coming through. And I agreed with him that, you know, there are some of those youngsters who still haven't won a major who actually could start winning things. A bit like when England started to win the, the 2020 Cup and then they went on to become the world one day champions and, and move up the up the ladder in cricket. Anyway, um, great to if you want more details, uh, check out the website. Uh, we'll provide the details of that for thirty thirty now. Uh, anything but footy. The podcast bringing you behind the scenes of all the Olympic and Paralympic news as we head to another Olympic year. We thought it would be twenty twenty, but it should be twenty twenty one. But Christian Coleman and um, the fastest four hundred meter, the third fastest four hundred meter woman in the world, Salwa Al Nasser, ever. There's a little bit of trouble uh, for yeah. them.
1: Well, It's not just trouble for them, it's trouble for the sport. You know, the stench. It's another
0: mess, isn't it? The stench
1: over world athletics at the minute is, is overpowering. Because here you have two of the biggest names. Christian Coleman, I think if you were to go back to a previous episode of Anything But Footy, we would have dubbed him at some point the new Usain Bolt he was the new sprint sensation and we get news that the world 100 meters champion so we're not quite into ben johnson territory here but we're not too far away from it has been provisionally suspended not for failing a dope test but for missing a third doping test this has been confirmed by the athletics integrity unit all goes back to the 9th of december that was his his third missed test if you like he says he's never used just in 12 months it's in yeah. 12
0: months. It's not third tests ever, is it?
1: And you've also got to remember as well that there was doubts over his contribution to Doha before that because he had three whereabouts missed tests before that, one of which he got knocked off the charge list because he said there was an irregularity regarding the date. So it was a paperwork error that allowed him to compete. He then comes, competes, wins the event, and then misses another event because he's out Christmas shopping. And with Sawar Id Nasser. Born in Nigeria, from Bahrain, the world 400 metres champion. Third fastest time in history, as you say. We can discount the other two times, by the way, because we're going back to 83 and an athlete from the Czech Republic, and we're going back to 85 and an athlete from East Germany. So they were both cheating, right? The two previous fastest runs. They should be erased from the record books. And now it looks like so should this one as well. She's described it as normal. And she's missed four tests and was still allowed to compete in Doha. The stench over the world of athletics at the minute with these two, two of the biggest world names, seemingly just feeling that they can just miss these tests and it's not really a big issue. I've been reading today that Coleman says, I can do a deal and still compete at the Olympics. That is outrageous. If he gets a deal to compete at the Olympics, then the whole shebang, the whole show should just be called off.
0: And I, I totally agree with you. I can't believe that these two who were gold medalists in Doha and we were praising and saying what an amazing performance. I think we all were a bit kind of where did NASA come from? Uh, literally out from out of space. I think surely
1: but... Weebo was thinking that <laughs> when you look at was. her face now.
0: Yeah. And she, of course, was the, the gold medal favourite in that 400 metres. What I thought was interesting is we talked about, you know, that with the whole coronavirus thing going on, it's having a huge impact on testing uh, going into another Olympic year. But all these happened before the outbreak, before the lockdown. So there's no, you know, there's there's no, there's no even issue with, with, well, you know, can't get testers there or whatever this was a guy as you say with christian christian coleman he'd already nearly missed the doha world championships he'd already had two missed tests and he decides to go christmas shopping and then he gets annoyed that the tester didn't call him from his front door don't
1: have to do that's not in the rules
0: no exactly
1: so and as you you say
0: he's he, he now says he wants a deal which I think is is, is scary. Now, James Ellington, who is a British sprinter, um, was injured awfully in a motorbike crash in 2017, uh, said on Twitter, look, there is no excuse. I am still, he says, on anti-doping whereabouts. I still fill in my whereabouts, still get tested, and I've been out of action since 2017. I currently have no sponsors, no team, and no income from this sport. He's got no excuse. Big sponsors, professional team, and big money.
1: Yeah, and I think, well, Ailey Doyle said it fantastically on Twitter. She said she was filling her whereabouts, even when she was in hospital for three days, having a baby. I mean, I would have liked to have seen what would have happened if the testers had turned up when she was in Labour. Having said everything that I've said, and I stand by what I said and the words I had about NASA and Coleman... If I was to put the case for the defence, I would refer you to Mark Cavendish's autobiography. there's a section in Mark Cavendish, the cyclist, autobiography, and he said that he had a friend who used to sort of be in charge of his affairs, if you like, and would file his whereabouts things. And Cavendish then one day decided he would check and just double check and make sure that these were all being filed and he found out his friend wasn't filing them so it was only more by luck than judgment that mark cavendish didn't fall into this same trap of missing three tests so whilst christian coleman does have big sponsors and is high profile the likes of nasa and coleman as a bahrainian athlete and a, and a u.s track and field athlete they are not surrounded by huge entourages. They do not carry with them a huge staff. So I do have a slight a slight bit of sympathy that they are still meant to be doing these things themselves. But if you look at the reaction from Ailey Doyle, Holly Bradshaw, Jasmine Sawyers, Tom Bosworth, that are not earning probably the money that Christian Coleman is, they've got no sympathy for him on Twitter because they're all responsible for filling their own forms out and making sure that the testers know where they are for one hour every day, which is the rules. But that my, is the case for the defence.
0: My issue with it, with that is if you are an athlete, that is your profession. That is yep. your job. and it's what, your livelihood. And what, it's your livelihood. So if you don't fill in your own form and tell people where you are, or you ask your mate to do it, then you are potentially risking... You losing out. You know what the punishment is. It's a, it's a two year ban. That's the that's the, the, the minimum that you will get. And you are risking your livelihood and your reputation. And it's a bit like me saying to you, Michael. Right. I want you to go and cover um, the Leeds triathlon and you just turning up going, well, well, who's competing today? I've done no research. I mean, and And, you know, you've got to make sure that you are responsible for what you do. And I think that is the key for these athletes. It is an individual sport, and individually you have to fill in this whereabouts. And when you stop being an athlete, you won't have to do it anymore.
1: Yeah, exactly right. You're listening to Anything But Footy, the Olympic and Paralympic sport podcast. Don't forget, you can find us online at our website. Send us a message there, anythingbutfooty.com. You can find us on social media as well, on Twitter at anythingbutf, on Facebook, on Instagram, and also on YouTube. Now, we'll stay with athletics for the moment because British athletics is facing what I would describe as a bit of a crossroads. They've announced recently they are recruiting for a performance director and a Olympic head coach. They are undergoing a massive culture change in the organisation and the delay of the Olympics and the Paralympics to 2021 means that the temporary plan that they had put in place just to see them through the summer of 2020, I don't think is now fit for purpose. They've got a new chief exec, Joanna Coates, who's arrived at an organisation Which is reeling from a independent review which has heavily criticised them on many and various levels. It's an organisation that has some restructuring ahead of it. It faces funding issues with UK Sport funding until March twenty one, as it stands at the minute, running out. They've lost the anniversary games, which is a big way of them earning revenue as well. So I think actually from British Athletics, this is a confident step by them. This is this is Joanna Coates and the organisation saying, look, we've Made some mistakes in the past. We were trying to muddle through uh, following the departure of the late Neil Black as performance director. We were going to try and get a team and get them as best as we could to Tokyo. But now with that year delay, they can do it right and appoint what we hope will be the two right people to lead that squad. And it will be a squad of 70 or 80 athletes probably at the Olympics and more in the Paralympics.
0: And what I like as well is that it ties in with the whole way that they run the para programme. So Paula Dunn is the head coach of the para uh, world-class team, and now they will have a head coach for the Olympics as well. So that kind of all makes sense. Um, And uh, you can apply, if you so wish, uh, until July the 12th. Um, Watch out for it, Joanna. Michael is coming. Uh, (laughs) I
1: (laughs) I was just going to say, I just think if if they'd stuck with the the temporary plan and the Olympics had gone ahead in, in 2020... They were basically going there on a bit of a wing and a prayer that, that Dina Asher-Smith and <laughs> Katarina Johnson-Thompson might win a medal. They were keeping their fingers crossed for Adam Jamili that he might finally get on a podium. They were just praying they could get maybe two or three batons around and then hoping for a surprise package of Gemma Riki as Sophie Hitchin was possibly in Rio. That's what I think... The plan was and then they would get somewhere close to their target and then they would look to reset. But I think this year delay, what it means now is that they can reset properly. And Joanna Coates has got a huge job and I'm reminded of what Julie Harrington at British Cycling said to us when we spoke to Great British Bosses. She said an organisation can only go as fast as its slowest individual. So what British Athletics needs to do now is it needs to identify those slow coaches, those bat markers, if you like, and manage that situation while supporting their leading pack, their their lead runners in the backroom staff and give them the tools to then realise their ambition. And I think this is a, a great way of, of outlining that.
0: I think Mark Woods told us in our last podcast, uh, talking about working in lockdown, and he's obviously a big British athletics coverer as a, as a journalist. And he said, you can't waste time. No, you know, she, she couldn't come in and go, well, we're in a bit of lockdown. I can't really do anything. I'm just going to sit on my hands. She had to. You can't waste time. Because, as you rightly say, the Olympics is now a year away. As soon as that's finished, you're then into the world, the Commonwealth, Commonwealth. the Europeans, the next year.
1: And then you're only two years away from the next Olympics. I'm convinced there's good people at British Athletics. And I'm hopeful that now they've got that right person in charge, where there has previously been various power vacuums, that these key appointments can harness those good people and take the organisation in the right way and forward. Because potentially we've got a terrific two or three years of athletics to come and we need British athletics to be in good shape because it's reflective on the whole rest of the programme when you look at Olympic, Paralympic Games and Commonwealth Games.
0: Talking of good people, we mentioned that the delay of Tokyo would cause some questions for athletes. Now, of course, it being a year later and reigning Paralympic double world and double Commonwealth champion Sophie Thornhill, the cyclist, has decided at the ripe old age of 24 that it's time to retire and focus on her education. The tandem sprint and kilo champion has been dominant since bursting onto the scene seven years ago, aged just 17. But she'll now begin studying history at the Manchester Metropolitan University in September. and she said My plan was always to retire after Tokyo, so when the dates changed, I had a really difficult decision to make. But after a lot of thought and support, I'm ready to move on to the next chapter of my life. We thank you for your gold medals, Sophie, and we wish you well on your history uh, 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 education in Manchester.
1: Yeah, I think she's only retiring from cycling. I don't think she's pulling up the tartan (laughs) zip-up booty slippers and cracking open the the Werther originals right now. She is, as you said, just 24. Staying with Olympic and Paralympic news, uh, some news from Team GB, and that is that Georgina Harland will be the chef de mission for Beijing 2022. That will come around, obviously, a year after the Summer Olympics. We're going to have the Winter Olympics back over in Asia, of course, first city to host both a Summer and a Winter Olympics. She's the first woman to have the Chef de Mission role at the Olympic Games. Uh, She's a former modern pentathlete. I read quite a few remarks uh, on social media saying oh she's a modern pentathlete, what does she know about winter sports? But as we know of course from some of the work we've done with Team GB Para GB and UK Sport, to be the Chef de Mission you don't need to know about winter sports you need to know the local plumber or the local electrician. Those are the kind of issues that you're going to be dealing with. Penny Briscoe of course did do the role as as a woman for Para GB in Rio in 2016. And remember Jan Patterson did it for Team England who topped the medal table at Glasgow 2014 as well but it is a history-making appointment for Georgina Harlan the first woman to have the Olympic role with Team GB
0: yeah we look forward to working with her so the Premier League is back as we say but it's not game set and match for football because the world of tennis is on the way back as well with Battle of the Brits and more events to come in Roehampton and maybe just maybe a brand new sport in 3030.